Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. It is great to see you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Week two of this series, Renovating Your Heart. If you're joining us online, we're so glad you are here with us as well. And we hope that you get a chance to come and join us in person uh, whenever you're ready for that. And so we're so glad to be able to continue this series. And one of the things we started with last week as we talked about this renovating of the heart was that Jesus came preaching this theme. It's really a mega theme of what he taught over and over and over throughout his ministry. And we see it first here in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 where he said this, Jesus went proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He was inviting us into his kingdom, into our, his kingdom. Now, now that's, a, that's a huge idea of being a part of or a citizen of his kingdom, which makes us ask the question, what does it mean to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God? Like, how, how did he intend for us to live? Because this wasn't something he said, wait till you die, and then you get to be a citizen of the kingdom. No, that starts right now. So it creates in us a whole new approach, a new, whole, whole new framework, really, for how to understand, how to respond to the world in which we live. And today, we're going to talk about how we begin that process. Now, we talked about last week that this transformation or um, the um, renewal or renovation of the heart begins by us turning to God with our whole heart. This is really what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Turn our whole heart to God, deny ourselves, and allowing God to renovate or transform us from the inside out into Christ's likeness. Now, that's huge. That's a huge deal, and it is God's miracle work in our life, but it requires some effort and some response and some obedience on our behalf as well. But I want to talk to you about the first place that that begins for us. The first place it begins is with our thoughts. It starts in our head, because it was in our thoughts that humankind first turned away from God collectively all the way back in Genesis 3, but also individually in our life when we first began to rebel against, to turn away from God, it was first in our thoughts. All of our actions come from our thoughts, and it, this is the place where it begins, and it is the first place that we need to begin to turn back to God to begin to understand what this life in the kingdom, <clears throat> pardon me, is all about. Now, as we talk about your thought life, it is maybe the most powerful most huge freedom God ever gave us was the ability to think. You can think of things that have happened. You can think of what's going on right now. You can even consider possibilities in the future that have never happened. You can solve problems. Humans have done this. You know this. Solve problems with their minds that no one's been able to solve before. They've been able to do all kinds of amazing things. It is such an incredible freedom. We literally can bring almost anything before our minds. We have that kind of freedom. But with the freedom of thought, like any freedom, freedom comes with responsibility and it comes with accountability. Really, it comes with consequences as well. And so with these consequences, we need to really think about our thought life. Think about what we think about, right? It's important to think about it. I want to turn your attention to what 
King David in the Old Testament, Psalm 16, the 16th Psalm, verse 8, where he shows us, here's something he had learned from God about how to transform his thought life and how it made such a difference in his life. Here's what he says. He says, because I set you, Yahweh, here's the Hebrew word for Lord, God Almighty, I set you, Yahweh, always close to me, my confidence will never be weakened for I experience your wraparound presence every moment. I love how they translated that last phrase right there, your wraparound presence every moment. Now going back up to this first highlighted word, set. This is the word, this word set comes from the Hebrew word shava, which means similar or equal. Now David is not saying that he is similar or equal to God, but he is saying, I want my thoughts to be like God's thoughts. I want my thinking to be like yours, God. I want to set you, Yahweh, close to me. In my thoughts, I want to set you in my thoughts continually. I want the greatness of my God to be in my thoughts, in my thought life, and forefront in my life throughout each day. And then he shows us how powerful thought life can be, how our thoughts can literally shape our emotional state in our life, Because he goes on to say, here's my emotional state. I have confidence that isn't weakened. I feel confident. And isn't confidence, it's it's an emotional state, right? Because confidence can come and go quick, right? Have you ever had confidence one moment, and the next minute you're like, whoo, it's gone, right? I don't feel confident at all right now, and maybe it's because something happened, or a, a thought came into your mind, or you remembered something, or whatever. But he's saying, my emotional state, which is so powerful, we're going to talk more about that in the next message in the series, but his emotional state came from his thought life, what he set before his mind, and he says that my confidence will never be weakened for I experience, and now he's talking about his experience as a human being, his human experience. He says my experience, because of what I set my mind on and my emotional state is confident, and now my experience, I'm experiencing the wraparound presence of God every moment. Think about that for just a minute. Some of you may have wondered if that's even possible. Like, what he is saying right there, is that even really possible that you could feel the wraparound presence of God every moment of every day? David's saying it's possible. It's not easy. Not many people choose this path. It is, a, it is a matter of training your thinking. You have to think differently, but it is possible. And it can elevate your emotional state. It can elevate your experience throughout this life. Your experience as a man or woman here on this earth can be radically different by just changing the way in which you think. And this is so powerful for us to begin to think about that because our thinking is fundamental It is so powerful to everything we do. It is what evokes our emotion, as we looked at just a minute ago. It also frames our world, and it motivates our actions. Every action we have ever said, everything we've ever said or done has come from a thought that preceded it. That's how powerful our thought life is. But with those thoughts come consequences, right? So I want us to talk about that today. Because we can choose our thoughts, but we cannot choose our consequences. Consequences always go with the choices that we make, even with our thought life. 
And in the world that you and I live today, just like at any other point in history, there are not just thoughts, but there are entire idea systems that exist in this world that are contrary to God, to his truth, to his wisdom, and to his word, what, what he wants us to focus on out there. And these idea systems in our world are so entrenched, they are so powerful, we very often um, underestimate how powerful they are. And to illustrate that, there was an idea system in Jesus' day. This idea system said, if you want God to love you, you'll have to earn that. You'll have to be good enough. You'll have to keep all the rules and you'll have to be like these Pharisees over here. You'll have to be like the most religious and holy of all the people if you want for God to, to love you. Jesus taught against that. He says, no, everybody's broken. Everybody is in need of forgiveness. And the only way to be right with God is to humble yourself, admit you're a sinner, you're in need of salvation, you need forgiveness from God. I am the only one who offers that, Jesus said. And if you're willing to do that, you could be transformed you can be made into a new creation, as we looked at last week, from the inside out. And this revolutionary idea system that Jesus introduced that contradicted the idea system of his, of his culture is arguably what got him killed. That's how powerful they are. But he resurrected showing that he is more powerful than any idea system, any culture in the world. And still to this day, the revolutionary idea system of Jesus, if you will, is continuing to move across the world. And every single one of you who calls yourself a follower of Jesus, or if you're watching this online, you play a part in this revolution, this renovation of your heart, but also helping other people to find the Lord so that they might experience that same spiritual renovation and revolution within their own heart. This is what he wants for us. And this is what he's called us to. And the Apostle Paul <clears throat> warns us about these kinds of idea systems in our world that contradict God's. And he gives us this incredible instruction several places in Scripture. Let's start with Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where Paul says this. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. He's talking about those idea systems, that there's idea systems that contradict what God has said. He says, but let, instead of doing that, but let God transform you. It comes from the Greek word metamorpho. We get our word metamorphosis, like the caterpillar to the butterfly, right? There is a transformation process that God wants to do in our life to turn us into Christ-likeness, right? This renovation of the heart. This is what he's talking about. He says, but let God transform you into a new person Paul, how is that going to happen? How is God going to do it? He tells us, by changing the way you, let's say it together, the way you think. Right. This is where it starts. Before anything else, I have to change the information that you have, as David said, set before your mind. Because that dictates so much of what you believe, what you'll get yourself to do, the way your emotional state whether you're walking through this life totally depressed, beaten down, defeated, discouraged, hateful, vengeful, it comes from our thinking. 
Or if you walk through this life, joyful, optimistic. God's going to do something great. He will, and he is, and he has got this, and he is my Savior, and he is my Lord, and he is the one. He is my hope. He is the one in whom I put my trust. None of this. Him. When we do that, it radically changes us from the inside out. It starts with our thinking. Then you will learn. This is something you can learn, right? Even if you've never been taught this, you grew up in a home where this never happened, he's saying it's possible. You can learn this. Your mind is made for it, and God will help you to do it, right? He's saying then you will learn to know God's will, what he wills for you, what he desires for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. And there's not a person alive that would say, yeah, I'd rather not know God's will for me, right? His divine, like, suitable way in which he purposefully made you to live that fits you all the way down to the ground. There is something powerful about walking in, knowing, and realizing, having confidence in, this is God's will. I know it. Even on the most brutally hard days, I know this is God's will. It's important to know this, and it starts by the transformation of our minds. He goes on to say this in his letter to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He talks about it again. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, he's talking about all of this sort of different levels of warfare that are happening in this world, and it's not physical warfare. This war is not the kind of wars, physical wars with big guns that we fight on this planet. He's saying it is stuff you can't see. But there are rulers, authorities, powers, and spiritual forces that are these, these higher level spiritual evil forces that are at work, that are working like a puppet master, manipulating people on this earth. And how are they doing it? They're doing it through information warfare. Now, you maybe have seen documentaries that have been put out recently, like, you know, The Social Dilemma and others where they're saying, oh, no, there are sinister people in the world that are trying to use social media to, and they are, to control, to dictate, to manipulate people, entire nations, if, if possible, through the information that they consume. Now, this did not begin with the internet, ladies and gentlemen, as you may realize. This did not start with social media, that the sinister plans of these rulers, authorities, and powers that are under the uh, authority of Satan have been in play as long as there have been people, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. When Satan came to Eve to deceive her, he didn't come up and hit her with a stick. He came up and hit her with an idea, Right? And what was the idea? You can't trust God. He's not looking out for your best interests. You want to live an awesome life and do whatever you want? Girl, you're going to have to take matters in your own hands and live however you want. Now get out there and make yourself happy. Right? Doesn't that sound, that idea system sound familiar to our day? And every temptation that followed after that first one has at its core the same deception. You cannot trust what God has commanded, what he said, what he, what he has ruled, what he has said in his truth. You can't trust that. 
That's antiquated. It's old-fashioned. It doesn't work anymore. It's not relevant anymore. You get out there, and you live your best life, and you just have what, all the fun, and you do whatever makes you happy in the moment, what you think will make you happy in the moment. And how many train-wrecked marriages, lives, careers, families has that caused? Over and over, the same deception. See, Satan, will, he's not changed his spiritual warfare tactic. He wants to dismantle and take apart God's purpose for humankind, and here's how he's going to do it. If I can control the information that they believe that they're taking in, then I control them. And this is where we have to be so careful. What are we taking in? What are we just carte blanche accepting because it's this person that I listen to all the time. It's my news source. It's my YouTuber that I love. It's my whoever. It's my, and I just always believe what they tell me. Here's what Paul would say. Careful, careful, careful. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. It's not a physical warfare. It's spiritual. He says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Our offensive weapons, as we look at in Ephesians 6, the, the uh, uh, spiritual armor, if you will, the only offensive weapon is the sword of the word, the sword of the spirit of the word. And he's saying, listen, know God's truth. In other words, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Another word for idea systems, these strongholds that take hold of our mind of thinking, this has to be true, this has to be true, I have to believe this. He says, we demolish these kinds of arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, his truth. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought. We don't just accept a single idea or an idea system, we're, we're suspect of it a little bit. We're like, that could be a Trojan horse with the enemy hiding inside, and it could destroy me. I have to be careful. It, what does that mean? What is the core of that? What is the truth behind that? And is it, does it mesh with what God said? Because ultimately, God says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will stand forever. You can bank on it. You can build your life upon it. Jesus says, it is the firm foundation. It is the solid rock you've been looking for. You can believe it. You can trust it. In other words, what Paul is saying here, he says, don't believe everything you think. Right? Don't believe. You don't have to believe everything you think. You don't have to believe everything you're told to think. You, don't, you ought not to, right? Not everything that's put before you to say, yes, you should totally buy into this. What does God say about that? Because many times we need to reject that. So let me give you some action steps to reject and to replace. Reject and replace it with God's truth. No, I'm not going to live in fear of that. I'm not going to let that dictate how I'm going to treat other people. I'm not going to, you know, be all up in arms, viscerally angry, so angry because people don't agree with me on a particular issue or whatever that issue is. There's so many in our world today, but be willing to have the guts, the courage, the confidence to say, I will trust God's truth and I will replace and reject the lie and replace it with the truth. 
It's so powerful when we begin to do this and really live this out and really make this a regular pattern and practice in our life. So here's what I'd like to do. I want to give you a couple of warnings or dangers in our thought life. And let me just say before I dive into these, these are things I'm going to give you. I have totally blown it more times than I want to admit as a pastor up here in front of you today. So I don't have this all figured out. I don't have it on lockdown. We are learning together, right? I want to get better at these, and I do, by God's grace, see some growth in my own life in this area. But it is not something that is going to be easy, but it is freeing when we do it right, okay? So let's talk about the first one. Number one, don't allow desires or your emotional state to guide your thinking. Don't let your desires or your emotions guide your thinking. Now, let me give a caveat here. Especially in conflicts with other people, with your spouse or your kids or with your parents or your your siblings or your coworkers or your boss or whoever it is you're going to be in a conflict with, you need to take a minute to say, okay, is my emotions, are they taking over my thinking right now? Am I letting things that I would never want to admit ever, right, Am I letting pride, arrogance, self-righteousness do my thinking for me right now? Is that what's happening? Because that can happen before you even know it. Because we get so mad, we get so worked up, we get so angry, especially in conflict. And when we are being confronted or we are confronting, it is easy for those things to begin to take over good, solid, rational thinking that is solidly based on God's truth. Really easy for it to take over. This is where you need a good friend that is hopefully walking with God, one that is godly, one that is trying to live this out too, that you could open up to and say, hey, listen, I've got this conflict going on, but I don't want my emotions to get the best of me. I don't want to push my agenda on somebody. I'm really trying to do the right thing and help. I want to help in this situation, right? Um, But I really know for sure that I am right, okay? There's no chance that I could be wrong about this. Um, So would you just help me to think through this? Am I approaching that other person with compassion? Am I trying to help? Am I really trying to help? Or am I just trying to win the argument? Am I just trying to let my pride to have a a good day, right? Um, That I finally proved I'm I'm smarter than you, okay? I'm much better at this arguing thing than you are. Is that what I'm going for here? How am I approaching the You need somebody that can hold you in check. This is why it's so important to be in community with other people. You need to have people in your life that you can trust. Ask these kind of tough questions. I mean, if you want to grow, that is. If you just want to stay stagnant or declined, then you don't need them, all right? So, but I'm assuming that since you're here, let's go ahead and assume everybody wants to grow spiritually, right? And I love what Paul said in Colossians 3.12, talking about how do we approach those kinds of moments when it is hardest to be like Jesus, right? When we're just bent out of shape. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, like he chose you in Christ, he loves you, holy and dearly loved. Don't you ever forget that, that you are God's beloved. He loves you. You don't have to earn it. You can't deserve it. It's given to you through Jesus. And he says, so in light of that, in light of what I just told you, chosen, holy, beloved, dearly loved, clothe yourself. And he's talking about your mind. This is a whole new attitude you need to put on before you go into that confrontation, before you go talk to that really hard to talk to person, right? What do you do? You clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, with humility, 
with gentleness and patience. Woof, right? That's hard. I don't know about you, but I have blown it on all five of those things multiple times when I went to talk to somebody in a confrontational situation. Very hard, but not impossible. But it is pausing for a moment and saying, God, help me. Help me in this moment to come with compassion. You know, of all people, Jesus could have, like, blasted people all the time. You idiots, are you kidding me? Are you really gonna, are you really believe it? You're really doing this? But it says that many times he saw the people like sheep without a shepherd. They were wandering all about, accepting and believing all kinds of idea systems that were messing up and wrecking their lives. And it says that he had compassion on them. He loved them. And that's the kind of heart that he wants to birth in every one of us. That before we post that social media post to like prove our point and let somebody have it, Maybe we're kind of subversively speaking to somebody. We don't name them, but we're kind of talking to them. And, or before we send the email, mail, email, or before we send the text, or before we do the confrontation, to check our heart. God, help me right now. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. He says, this is what people that live in the kingdom of God do. This is what I want to show through you. It's not, it's not avoiding the issue. It's not not speaking the truth. It's just speaking the truth in love. It's doing it with the right heart. So before you do it, check your heart. Make sure that your emotions are not driving all of your thinking. Cool down. Ask for God's help. Now, let me just say this about letting our emotions or our desires guide our thinking. If you're someone who is far away from God and you've just said, you know, I'm at least so far, I've rejected faith in Jesus Christ. I'm just not sure I'm ready to step over the line of faith yet. And we are so glad you're here. We're so glad you're watching online or if you're here in person today. Or if you are someone who is close to someone who is in that position of like have objections and really not ready to accept or to trust God in his message of salvation through Jesus Christ yet, I want to give you a couple of questions just to ponder, okay, to think about. So if you're in that situation or you know somebody who is, here's a couple of questions I want you to think about. Would I like, I want you to ask these questions of yourself, would I like there to be a God? Would I like, would I desire for there to be a God? And here's the next one. Would I like it if Jesus turned out to be Lord? And what I mean by Lord is that he's the one to whom you will answer for your life. He is the one who has first claim on you and he is your creator and your life will ultimately be accountable to him. Now, if you look at this and say, would I like there to be a God? Well, no, I don't want there to be a God because now I'm accountable. (laughs) I don't really want that, Will. Honestly, if I'm being brutally honest, gut level, no, I don't want that. Would you like Jesus to turn turn out to be the Lord? No, again, that's really awkward and uncomfortable to think about. I don't really, that's, I don't want to even think about it. If that is your answer, some form of that, I want you to see that really what, what we're doing here, what you have done, is that we're letting our wants, our desires, our emotions to keep us from seeing what is the case. That we are allowing those emotions to blind us from what is. 
And we all do this at times, but many times I've seen people do their real objections has more to do with the feelings that they're dealing with than real intellectual objections because if he really is who he says he is, he demands I should give him everything. I should live totally for him. And that is scary. No doubt about it. It is, but it is so worth it. So, Wherever you stand, it's worth it to say, okay, I'm willing to set those aside to find out the truth about, is there really a God? Is he really the Lord? Is Jesus really Lord? Those can be known. That, can be, that information can be known, and some of the greatest intellects in the history of the world have paved the way and shown how this can be done. Over and over, so many books have been written of people that have started off as staunch atheists who checked out the facts, the historical avalanche of evidence as Lee Strobel would say, fell upon me, and I could not deny it any longer. It was just too real. It was overwhelming how much evidence there is. Powerful. Now, when we are going to confront that other person, let's just make a rule that we're not going to come in speaking to try to prove that we're right. Put it here. We should make it a rule never to try to merely prove we're right. Just to come at somebody and say, well, here's the truth. Take it or leave it. There. I win. Yeah. Who wants to be that guy's friend, right? (laughs) That friendship's officially over. There is no future influence. There is no future. That's going to hurt and sting real bad because it just reeks of pride and arrogance, self-righteousness. Don't approach them that way. How about we back up and say, what would be the compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and patient way to approach this. I promise you, you get so much further with people if you do it God's way. It's so, it's revolutionary. It's powerful. So here's the next one I want to talk about, dangers in our thought life. Number two is don't allow all images before your mind. Now up to now, we've been talking about information, information that we come into our mind, the concepts that we think, but this is really more about images, and images are so powerful because they stay with us for years and years, decades and decades. They can haunt us way into the future. It's kind of crazy. And let me just say, be so careful to filter things that come into your mind, things like horror and violence and sexuality, even if they're called entertainment. I promise you, not all of that stuff that is touted as, oh, you got to see this movie. Oh, my goodness, it's the next Academy Award winner. Some of that stuff will mess with your mind It sticks with you for a long time. It can hurt you. We have to be so careful. I I love this quote I came across recently of Dr. Dallas Willard, who was the head of uh, philosophy at USC for a number of years, and brilliant man, brilliant philosopher, brilliant theologian, wrote many great books, but this is one quote that really pertains to what we're talking about today. If we allow everything access to our minds, we are simply asking to be kept in a state of mental turmoil or bondage, for nothing enters the mind without having an effect for good or evil. And he's totally, totally right. We can try to warp that reality for a while, but it will always snap back. There is no getting around it. This is the way the mind has been made. And you may be saying, well, Will, 
yeah, that's great for the kids, right? You know, but I'm a grown man. I'm a grown woman, and I'm going to watch what I'm going to watch. I'm going to put whatever I want. I'm going to think about whatever I want. I'm going to put whatever images in front of my mind. I'm going to, I want to see it all, baby. I want to feel all the feelings. I want to see all the things, and I want to do all of it. Because, you know, what is freedom of thought about anyway? This is America, right? We live in America. We're going to do it. And I would say to you, you're right. You got the right to do it. But you just need to know that when you make those choices, there are consequences that go with them. If you choose to step off the roof, you can't then not choose to hit the ground, right? Those two go together. And please hear me today. There are rigorous laws that govern the mind that are ever bit as powerful as the laws of gravity. You cannot cheat them. You cannot work around them. You will be held as a prisoner to some of those thoughts for years and years. I have known daddies that with tears running down their eyes that have struggled with putting all kinds of image, pornographic, whatever, in their minds and say, it breaks my heart Sometimes when I'm trying to, daddy's telling me this, trying to hold my, my little girl and these horrible images come into my mind and it just wrecks this precious moment. But no one tells you about that. Satan's not going to tell you the consequence up front. He's going to say, no, there are no consequences. You're a grown man. You go do whatever you want. You're a great grown woman. You do what you want. And you don't know that there is a price to be paid. There is a horror that goes with some of those things that nobody tells you about. And it messes people up. And we don't have to do them. We don't have to live with that. There are some things you just don't need to see, don't need to hear, don't need to experience. You will be better off not. Because some things you can't unsee, you can't unhear and unexperience. This is why just, just this beautiful voice of reason from Paul as we wrap up this final passage in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, he tells us this. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, this is everybody, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, let's say it together, think about such things. Set this before your mind. Be intentional about the things of God. This is the stuff that he's in. This is a, it's inspiring, it's beautiful, it's joyful. And there are things out there. It's easy to miss them sometimes, but he's saying, focus on this. I'm not talking about being just this pie in the sky, overly optimistic, you don't really live in the real world. No, no, no. You're as realistic, you are living in the real world as the maker of the world has defined it. And he's saying, if you focus on all that dark stuff, it will start to do dark stuff to your soul. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I want to encourage you right now that one of the most powerful things that you could do spiritually, powerful spiritual disciplines that I have incorporated in my life over the years that has been probably one of the most powerful in this area of transforming my thinking has been in the area of Scripture memory, Okay? And some of you, and I'm going to give you a couple of verses here. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This is where Jesus was asked by the disciples, how should we pray? And he gives us the Lord's Prayer. I don't have time to go through it right now, but that's the Lord's Prayer. And he's saying, you ought to pray this, like, daily. This is powerful. 
Like, he's given us some, like, keys to the kingdom. He's given us so many beautiful secrets, but nobody does them anymore. He's saying, do this, memorize this, take the word of God with you wherever you go. Put it in your heart, recite it often, meditate on each line of it. You may say, well, Will, I can't memorize scripture. I just don't have that good a memory. I promise you, God has given you a mind to do this, and he will help you do it. Don't get in a hurry. It might take you a week to get the first verse down. That's okay. Take your time. Do it like that. Put it on an index card. Put it on your mirror. Put it on your dashboard. Put it everywhere. You'll, you read it, read it, read it. Say it out loud. Pray it. You will memorize. I promise you. You, you will. You memorize all kinds. You memorize how to work your VCR one day, right? <laughs> you can do this. Everybody can do this. And then the next one I would challenge you is Psalm 23, chocked full of so many beautiful promises, especially when you're going through dark and difficult, challenging times. David dumps his soul out for us to be able to have framework for how to pray in those moments. It's beautiful. Don't miss that. But I just want to tell you, when you begin to memorize God's word and put it into your heart, Scripture tells us it's like a light. It is the light of God himself that is shown in the dark places of our hearts, of our souls. And, it, it, it's, and we're told over and over, when, when the light comes on, the darkness loses. Like, we don't turn the lights on in a dark room and go, oh my gosh, what are we going to do about all this darkness, right? The darkness is gone. The lights are on now. It's beautiful. And when we shine the light of God's word in our hearts, it's beautiful how it illuminates God's heart for us, his will for our life as we set his word and his way and him before us. It gives us confidence that overcomes our weakness, that is unshakable, and it gives us this experience of God's wraparound presence all throughout the day. It's beautiful. And I want to just challenge you today that you would begin to do that. Those of you who are followers of Christ, if you're not, I want to ask you to be introduced to Jesus today. But if you're a follower of Christ, I want to invite you and challenge you to begin to memorize God's word, to put it into your heart, and it will become the compass that will point the true north for you in some of those dark moments where you don't know what to do. And God will bring, he will quicken your spirit and bring his word to your mind, and it will give you that wisdom and truth that you need in the moment you need it. It's beautiful. Psalm 119 was right. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And it will be for yours as well. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.